friends, welcome to episode 193 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or a dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. It's uh, It's been a little crazy around my house, but other than that, we're doing okay. Yeah. I've had a lot of construction. <laughs> <laughs> you you have. I Longer than expected. There, Longer still than out expected. there when I pulled up? And... Yeah, I, I think he is. Uh, I think he is done for the day. He will be back tomorrow, but luckily, no more banging of of, of anything going I mean, on. It's January in Michigan. If he's still working outside in this light uh, or, or lack thereof, the sun yeah. went down at five thirty. So. What was funny was he said he bought headlamps so that he could get the job done, and I was just like, "Oh, that's really nice that you're working late." And then I'm like, "Working late? He's working past three. Right, <laughs> right. Which is sad. It's so sad." <laughs> Oh, uh, good old winter in Michigan. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And Beautiful I've got spring we're having this uh, this winter though. Yeah, it's very interesting and unique in all kinds of ways. Uh so yeah, um I, I we played um Mouse Guard this weekend. Yeah. Uh which we always kind of attribute to um the beer and pretzels game that yeah, we play in. It's our super chill game. And, uh, uh, I, I, again, still kind of put it on that level. I think mm-hmm. it's very much our beer, beer and pretzel game. Um, but there's a lot of role playing that goes on. It's hugely narrative. Yeah. 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 I mean, realistically our conflicts go pretty darn fast, which is hilarious that we're talking about urban shadows tonight uh-huh. because it fits a lot in that kind of weird space. Like it is the, the, the almost narrative game. Mm-hmm. Like it's right there on the edge. Like it's it, it, not like it's trying. It's clearly trying to be what it is. But um, I uh, I often wonder if uh, um, if people transitioning to a purely narrative game going by way of Mouse Guard would help. You know, um, but at the same time, we had a really good discussion um, near the end where we were talking at the end of the game where we were talking about why it's so comfortable. And that the focus and the setting is very much narrow. Mm-hmm. Like, you are the mouse guard. You are doing a job. So, like, 90% of the effort that you have to put forth about getting a group to go in a direction is done for What's you. What's my character's motivation? You're a guard member. That's your motivation. Right. You follow orders. That's your other motivation. Like, like everything is uh, is right there ready for you. So, it, it does take a huge burden off of doing that the counter burden that is it feels like it's on rails (laughs) because it kind of is yeah i mean it's it's definitely one of those uh one of those settings that has a very clearly defined role for the player but um i i think you know we've talked about it like in some of our world building stuff is like one of the questions you really absolutely have to be asking yourself with any setting you're playing is what is what is the thing the players will do Right, you know, and if you can't clearly define that, you're going to have a problem with your players feeling like they're adrift. You know, yeah, I don't think it's a problem at all that that you're that you have a, you walk into Mouse Guard with a very strong sense of oh what you're going no, to be don't get me wrong, I wasn't saying yeah. something was wrong with that. I think that's great, and in fact, I think more game systems, if you started with that framework, yeah, yeah, would yeah. help out. Like, I don't understand why there weren't more D and D games that started with. You're a four-member pit-fighting team, and at the end of the session zero, you break out. Right. Okay, right. you have a reason to be together. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so, that's how my game started. Yeah. You're all members of the Fighters Guild and the Mages Guild. Yeah. Find a reason why you would be a member of those things and willing to take orders to go on adventures. Exactly. Exactly. And then you're forced to work together because that's your mission from your commanders. Exactly. So all of that fits really well. Um, 
But one of the things that we, you know, and I'm going to set that to the side because I think the other part of the discussion was that about Mouse Guard, uh, we were we were giving feedback at the end, mm-hmm, and having mm-hmm. two storytellers in the room with the storyteller who plays in our games is yeah. hilarious. Yes, but it's really good because it allows us kind of like you know, doctor, 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 kind of to throw things. Oh around. yeah, 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 yeah. And we were uh, we were shopping the same thing at a very low level because again we don't stress out a lot about it, but we were saying like, hey, you know, I said that I wanted to see more theme. Mm-hmm. Like more of the tension, like I and I gave clear examples of parts of the game that felt very theme. You know, the tension of fighting a snake yeah. was palpable. Like he did a great job of laying out those scenes and moving through them, and it felt really exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like we were tactically moving through, but we were as yeah. a group. It was it was neat, and we mm-hmm. worked as a group, and it was fantastic. But there was a lot of theme in that, and I feel like some of that has been lost, but not wholly. It, and again, like two percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've moved into more of a narrative, a meta narrative of this whole weasel incursion and stuff like that. So yeah. there's a lot of um, a lot less like heat of the moment stuff, and a lot more kind of cloak and dagger sort of you mm-hmm. know uh, social and political moving to figure out what's going on and how do we defend ourselves from them. You yeah. Know? Um. But uh, like my my personal feedback was like you've got this wonderful plot and we're all super into it. It's like I'm like. I would love to see you stretch your stretch your legs a little bit mm-hmm. with like a little bit of voice acting or a little more, you know, uh vivid descriptions of things or yeah. like he used to play a lot of like sounds on his phone. Yeah, exactly. You know, to, yep. Of like the birds or or, mm-hmm. or, you know, animal noises of whatever it was that we were fighting. Like having things like that I think would be really great. Yep. You know? Brings the feel of the story back around. Exactly. And exactly. and again, we're both like, that's like 2%. No problem. No right, worries, right, no right. Worries, so, you know. This isn't like this is ruining my experience. But this you is, asked this for is, something. Yeah, exactly. You asked what my wish was. My wish was, I, you know, step, take one step forward. And then uh, he was saying he was having an issue between the storyteller turn and the player turn. Yeah. And like, we're not, you know, d- dealing with checks in the same way. We're also not complaining and, you know, or complicating each other to get checks and do things like that. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked through that. But one of the things I said was there's a difference when you're getting a physical thing. In your game, when you give out bennies, it's a physical token. We have coins. Yep. I 3D printed uh, little gold septums. Yeah. Uh, straight out of Skyrim. Yeah, and they're fantastic. And I can tell you so many times of playing with those things. Oh, yeah. And it's having something physical in a game, something that you can show, whether it's like, and I even brought it up, like the whole idea of just holding the coin between you and the storyteller and like, I've got something and that it's a silent thing, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm going to want to change the story in some way with this, or I'm going to push the issue with this, that physical motion, that action that you're, you're doing is a huge thing. Yeah. It is a fidget prop. That's exactly right. Knox. And that fidget prop reminds you you want more of these things oh yeah it's the reason why it's the reason why tokens come out of slot machines or at least the sound does sure of the clink 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 clink. that that tactile tactile experience that the more the more senses you are tantalizing the more of an engaging experience it's going to be exactly um and so yeah we we came to this discussion with uh earning checks which are kind of like Checks are difficult to describe. If you really well, want to learn about checks, we did it. We did a spotlight. Yeah, on go Mouse go Guard. back to Mouse Guard, but effectively feel like, like they are your benefit that you're getting back for for altering role play. They're, they're a meta currency. Yeah, meta they're a meta currency. Totally meta currency. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, having actual physical tokens for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea came up that uh, uh, Sean um is actually a, a really competent 3D modeler. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh. 
you guys had just gotten back, and we, I think we talked about this on the um, the podcast last week. Yeah. You guys had just gotten back from seeing the creator of Mouse Guard yeah. uh, at a local bookstore. Yeah. And um, so our storyteller, the Mad Elf, mm-hmm. had gotten a book for his wife and gotten it signed by the creator. Who then who did a drawing. I did a little, a little head drawing, a little like black and white. it's a pretty white... good size, too. Yeah, a like... little black and white uh, uh, head drawing with a, with a black marker yeah. of a mouse. It's And it's beautiful, of course. Absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And um, so we took a picture of that and sent it to Sean, who basically spent the afternoon... Uh, 3D modeling in Blender a coin with mm-hmm. that embossed on it. Yep. Um, and man, I just, the more I see that like come together, I, I, I kept wanting to take screenshots of it and send it to the Mad Elf just mm-hmm. like nope. as a, as a teaser, but nope. like, man, no, I just want to show up. I, I don't want to say anything more. Nope. I want to show up with a bag of these things, 3D mm-hmm. printed and painted and mm-hmm. ready to go next time we play. Yep. No, I love it. I love it. And, and this is just me. I think we need to print out a couple more in case we see the author. Yes. He needs he needs a few coins of his own. You're not wrong. <laughs> he you would, are not I'm wrong. sure he would love it and he would he would enjoy having those sitting around. So, uh, no, I totally think that should be a thing. That's totally that's, an, that's an excellent idea. Giving yeah. back. Giving back. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready to get in tonight? I, yeah. I was... So, it is our system spotlight. It's our second uh, week. We're going to keep this up by popular demand. People asked for us to stick around doing these system spotlights. Uh, and, and from what we've heard from the feedback, people really like the format. So, we're sticking with everything. Um, and this week, we're coming back to a game that we talk a lot about, but we have not yet touched. That seems to be a common theme here on the show, but there's so many of them, and we only do 12 system spotlights a year. Yeah, so. that, 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 all, that comment right there is going to come back. There are so many of them in the way of good systems that get talked about but rarely reviewed. There are so many. Foreshadowing. Beyond D&D. We might be having the same discussion 24 hours, uh, 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 you know, one week from today. One but fortnight. <laughs> anyways, uh, so we are discussing Urban Magpie Shadows. Games Urban Shadows. Now, I am blessed to have known some of the people of Magpie Games, the, the top echelon of Magpie Games, and yep. played with them. And that's what brought me into this world mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. Of, uh, of, of Magpie's games and of this particular genre. Um but it's, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say, like, they, they haven't sponsored this. There's no there's no love between us. I, I bought into the Kickstarters. I like it. I, I have uh, City of Mists. I'm getting Urban Shadows as soon as they City release it. Is this Magpie? Uh, yes. What is? I, it, it's sure? involved. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so all of, they sit in the same, they sit in the same, look book to book, you'll love it. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> but uh, the idea being that, uh, Urban Shadows actually started as started in 2015. Mm-hmm. Most of you who go and look for it now on Magpie's site is going to get kicked back to a Kickstarter that went off in 2020. Now, you can still go to DriveThruRPG and get the original first edition books. Understand that the Kickstarter for second edition is not a complete change. Mm-hmm. It is some textual changes. There's some context adjustments in there. Um, it's kind of like a 3.5, that kind of an upgrade level. Sure, where sure. Where some things were clarified, um, they added in some other stuff. I'll uh, in one of the sections in here as we go through it. Um, I'll explain kind of why they did it, why they did one of the things, but it was it had to do with reputation and, and the class system, uh, which wasn't really well explained in detail. And and we're gonna kind of go through it in a little bit more detail, so that'll be the good thing. Um, but there is quite a bit of content out now. Now. The core rule book itself, if you go and get the first edition mm-hmm. and the second edition. 
is not much different. When I say they altered the text, I'm not saying that they made grand changes in the way that it is presented. The system of Urban Shadows is designed to make diverse characters in a city that is exceptionally diverse, but is still what we know today as, as I'm going to say it, dirty cities. Yeah. That is, Urban Shadows is about the dirtiness of the city and how that affects people. You know, gender, sexuality, race are all parts that come into play just as much as that you're part of a vampire group who doesn't like a werewolf group, right? And that all comes into play. It is not that you are a vampire against the city. It is that you are a person in the city who is a vampire who understands what's going on in the background. Yeah. Everyone is aware. There's there's never somebody who's like, oh, there aren't any ghosts. Oh, I don't believe in ghosts. No, they know ghosts exist. They know vampires. You are well, under that layer. Well, at least on the supernatural level. Correct. Correct. Right. Even if you're even if you're playing a mortal in this game, you are playing a someone who is who is a mortal who is aware of all the stuff. Right. You've going seen on. beyond the veil. Yes. Beyond the mist. Yes. That exactly. keeps the city together. Like the people outside of the mist, much like the Matrix, are unaware and need to remain unaware. Men in black are doing their job in an ethereal kind of way to make sure that that doesn't happen. And the city takes care of itself. I always loved uh, the, the Dresden Files explanation for all that. Okay. Which, which was, you know, how do you keep it all hidden? We don't. People just don't believe in this stuff. Like, well, well, I mean, but people would believe. What if there was, you know, video evidence? What if a vampire, like, some dude on PCP shredded my car? But, but you were on video doing magic, yeah. And it was called a hoax. It was <laughs> called special effects. <laughs> people will come up with any excuse other than it's the supernatural. Yep. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And it, it definitely, the story definitely bends that way. But at yeah. the same time, like... In that, the energy that is the city takes care of the city. Yep. If two mages get into a super fight and it drops down half a building... Oh, people are going to take notice, yeah. But at the same time, they it's, might... also, it's also going to be a demolition gone wrong Yeah, yeah that yeah. was miscalculated. It's not going to be that was a wizard's duel. Correct. Right. Because every layer of the explanation, like telephone, changes until it is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And and that's just the way things go. Sinkhole caused a gas explosion. Craziest thing. Yep. Yep. But at the same time, you found the, the in the first place. This is where you first saw the X card. Yeah. Yeah. So I I uh, uh, actually pulled this game out. Oh God, I want to say back in like 2017 or something like that. Um, because I was I was really big into the Dresden Files at the time, and I was kind of looking for a system um, to run that with. Uh, Evil Hat Productions has their own Dresden Files game that's based on Fate. Um, but I was kind of looking for alternatives because I I found at least that the version that I was looking at to be a little uh, a little much. It's like this big two book set, and the rules are very dense, and I found it difficult to wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. At least at the time, mm -hmm. I found it difficult to wrap my head around the Fate system. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for alternatives, something that could run that style of a game. Yeah. And uh, Urban Shadows was suggested to me from several different places, so I picked that up. And I don't, I don't think I got it last time around. Mm -hmm. I was, I was hip deep in uh, running my my D and D fifth edition game. Um, I had not reviewed. I don't think we'd started the podcast yet. Actually, come think, uh, or if we had, we had just started it. Yeah, I think that was the case. And uh, so I was, I was. 
I don't think I was mentally in the right place to really accept Urban Shadows or, or like the, the vast paradigm shift from what I was used to to Powered by the Apocalypse games, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, but one thing that I was instantly blown away by, if not the rules system, was like just the foreword where it talked about actually playing the game. Right. Uh, and like the very first thing it says is to like make diverse characters. You know, cities are diverse places full of a bunch of diverse people. Um, and it would be silly for all of these great supernatural stories to just feature straight white people, you know? Yeah. Like, you're playing a vampire or a werewolf. You're not one of those IRL. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we trust you. Go ahead and, you know, switch up your character a little bit. Try something different. Um, but yeah, like you said, this is also the first place I saw the X card, um, mentioned here too. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, that that's definitely something like you should can and should transplant to other tables mm-hmm. and yeah you know come come think I, I do think we're it was very early days of the podcast because i seem to remember bringing that up with you correct and it, going, was, like, early, it was very early we need to discuss this on the show this is great you know mm-hmm. um and i'm so happy all these years later to have seen you know the x card to be mentioned in so many other uh forwards and or storyteller sections mm-hmm. uh, uh in so many other products that, that this has caught on so yep yeah, it's it's interesting um in that it it was quickly accepted by the by many indie groups mm-hmm. and then immediately implanted and it has grown so quickly that it's just a thing and it gets right along the line of lines and veils like all of these things are coming together in such a nice way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in games like this where and I'm going to flat out say it, I I don't I it's their words not mine, but at the same time it is something that I think makes sense. This is an adult game. Yeah. Yeah. It has adult themes. And by saying that, I am basically saying the maturity level of this game requires you as a as a player and as the master of ceremonies to understand you are dealing with complex topics. This is not something where you're just going to throw around racism and bigotry softly. They yeah. are they are yeah. parts of the story should you choose to use them on a on a plot to plot moment, and, that's, and we'll, and that's we'll even to get say, to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that the, the, the subject matter of your game always has to be you know R or X rated or whatever. No, you know? not like, in the least. Uh, but but just understanding that the complexity of the themes might be a bit much for a younger audience to to grasp, to fully get into, correct, and to fully appreciate the weight of. Right, right. You know? I mean, when you when you're dealing with a complex society where the game is about the city and the people within the city not about a bad guy and bad people right this is i will flat out say this game is not a heroic game no do not come at this game like it's heroic you will lose <laughs> yeah yeah if anything this is a lot more of like it's more a lot more my flavor it's a lot more of a slice of life yeah uh almost a zero to hero sort of story if if even ever a hero no you know where yeah. Uh, you're just a participant, a supernatural participant, but just a participant in the goings-on of this city. Mm-hmm. You have lifted the veil under and looked underneath the tarp of how the city actually is, and now that you're aware, you cannot unsee it. Congratulations, you're a player character. You're no more special than that. Correct. Yep. And everyone is at that level. Yep. yep. Welcome to the city. So... Let's let's I'll I'll quickly say this. If you do digging, 
and it doesn't take a lot of digging, you can find quite a few resources on this. The one thing you're not going to find is you're not going to find adventures. Mm -hmm. And there's a key reason for this. This game isn't built that way. We'll get to that point in the story, but understand you're not going to find them. You will find you will find adventure primers, people who have written some things, and they've done beautiful jobs, mm -hmm. without a doubt. And there are pre-generated characters, there are pre-generated things, but every one of those have giant blank places for you to fill in who you are. Okay? Yeah. The playbooks yeah. are basically designed to be pre-made character sheets. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't say who you are, and that is the most important part of the story, yeah, without they, a doubt. They function very, very much like pre-made characters. So imagine, and this is my favorite part about this, imagine if you every D&D &D game you came to, you either picked up the cleric, the fighter, the wizard, the rogue, or the ranger character sheet. Mm -hmm. That's your sheet. That's your character sheet. Now, the thing you fill in is, who do you hate? Who do you love? What is your drive when you get up in the morning to have breakfast? And what do you think is going to kill you before you go to sleep? And that might be boredom, but it you know be, what? And it might be tacos. Those are the four things the storyteller gives a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> so, all let's right. get in this. Yep. Uh, all right, so the setting and feel, um, as we've kind of outlined already, um, urban fantasy. Uh, urban fantasy, you're looking at Dresden Files. Um, if you're a World of Darkness player, that's urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, you know, uh, uh, Buffy. October, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah. October Day um, series by uh, Sean McGuire. Yep. Um, all these sort of contemporary fantasy settings where you've got supernatural elements like wizards and vampires and werewolves and stuff of that, oh but at, at a modern day setting. Yeah. Um, a lot of the themes here, uh, darkness. This is a game about what happens in the shadows. Mm -hmm. uh, like we said before, this is not a heroic game of going and smiting the evildoer. This is like, no, you're probably pretty shady yourself. Yep. Um, or if you're not, you're trying to keep from becoming shady. Which is a and thing. You're, and you're probably one of the few people doing so. Yeah. Um, Diversity. Cities are diverse places, telling diverse tales, like we said earlier. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, though, there are a lot of different diverse supernatural aspects. Mm -hmm. There's, what, ten different archetypes in the main book? In the main book, yes. And I think there's a couple, like, add-on. Yeah, um, there's several playbook add-ons. Uh, playbook add-ons and yeah. stuff like that, too. So, um, coming from four different factions, and the, the fa mm -hmm. we will get into factions. Factions are a major game mechanic and, mm -hmm. and a major thing. But the fact that there's a lot going on, and it's not just a vampire city or not just a werewolf city, but mm -hmm. you've got a little sprinkle of everything, and they're all vying against one another, or with one another, who knows, you yeah, know? depends on your story. They're, they're all interacting is a major theme. Um, and then the last one, kind of branching off of that, is that this is a political game. Yes. Uh, this is not a tactical combat game, but this is a war of words, of debts, of favors, and of corruption. Yeah, you don't. You're not going to go into this game with miniatures and moving around a tactical map. Yep. Nor are you going to sit back and throw money at a problem. Although you can kind of do that in certain aspects. At no point is your character going to immediately start out as a mob boss or godlike person mm -hmm. and in control of pretty much anything because nobody's in control. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, which kind of is an interesting start point. So stepping into character creation. Um, I have seen two different directions of this. People who tend to play this game often and know the archetypes usually start with the city. 
versus character creation. But I think starting with character creation, if it's your first game, knowing, getting excited about who you are is the best way to start. Without a doubt, I think so, and I think I think if I ran this, I think I would go character creation first yep. because then then you kind of know what sort of elements you want to get into once you know your character, yep, and you know what elements you want to introduce into the city that are going to be interesting to that character. Exactly, exactly. So archetypes. Uh, so archetypes. Um, so first off, the archetypes themselves are very much like we said, almost pre-written character sheets. Mm-hmm. They are a bunch of check boxes. Yep. Essentially, um, and you will go through your character sheet, and you will put checks in certain check boxes, and you'll put a couple numbers on your sheet, and that's it. You are yep. done. Yep. Um, so first, you're going to pick an archetype. Now, it's important to note that no two players in the game can pick the same one. You cannot have two vampires or two ghosts or two fey, um, two mages. Uh, this might feel restrictive, but it makes sure that there are a lot of different influences in the story. Like we said, one of the major themes is diversity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it's also so that you know players don't step on one another's toes. Um, if yeah. you've got a a vampire story going on that involves vampires, it's going to be very special to the one vampire character. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you're not going to have a second vampire character that might, you know, dance on them, steal the limelight, and, you know, uh, uh, make the other one feel a little minimized there. Yep, yep. Uh, You start out with uh, assigning your stats. Mm -hmm. Um, You have four stats in this game. Blood, Mm -hmm. which is essentially your physical attribute. Heart, which is essentially your social attribute. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mind, which is, believe it or not, I know this is going to come as a shock, your mental attribute. Yeah. And uh, spirit, which kind of acts as a willpower, but also is like your connection to the supernatural. Yes. Yeah. It's yep. a, your strength of will. Spirit's a very good way of describing that. Yeah. Um, your archetype is going to come with predetermined stat modifiers. It will mm-hmm. say, as a werewolf, your starting stats are blah, 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 blah. Um, it's usually going to be minus one to one of those, zero to another, and plus one in the other two. Yep. Uh, and then you get to choose any one of those stats and add plus one to it. Mm-hmm. You can either minimize your minus one by bringing it up to a zero, mm-hmm. or give yourself a really good strength by adding it to one that's already in a plus one, you know? Yep. Give yourself a plus two and something. Um, and that's it. Record your final numbers. Yep. These are the modifiers you're going to use when you make stats with that roll. Yep. So if a move says roll with blood... You roll 2d6, you modify it by whatever your blood is. Yep. If your blood's zero, you don't modify it at all. Yep. Minus one, plus one. You can never be more than minus three or plus three in any roll. Yeah. But we'll get to that in game mechanics. Um, Factions. Then you have four more stats. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're they're basically stats. Yeah, they, they are, are factions. Stats. Yeah. Um, it's your weight within the factions. Right. Uh, well, your, your, your weight within them, your bond with them, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, there are four factions in the game. Uh, mortality, which is kind, of, kind of self-explanatory. It's yeah. basically any sort of normal human. Yep. Um, night, which is creatures of the night, such as vampires, werewolves, ghosts. ghosts. Yep. You've got power. The power faction is mortals that are touched by supernatural power in some way. They're well, like mortal plus. Well, they're they're mortals and immortals. That are still, yes. that are touched by that. So they could be like an oracle, or they could just be a wizard, or they literally could just be like an immortal. Right, right, right. And when yeah. I when I say mortal, I don't mean lifespan wise. I mean right. like they're a normal dude that isn't a different creature. Correct. Correct. Yep. yep. Um. Uh. And then you've got wild. 
Uh, and the wild are creatures that draw their power from someplace else, like the fae or the demons. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are your four factions. And once again, your archetype is going to define uh, kind of where, where your base factions mm-hmm. are. And then you're going to add plus one to one of those. And the idea there is is that you personally have a different personal attachment to another place. Sure. And you're explaining that your own way. Mm-hmm. That, that's up to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of your gear is going to be right on your list. Again, you can, it's a number of checkboxes, essentially, or choose something off of a list by circling it, underlining it, highlighting it, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, some of it might require some more thought, a little more RP or discussion about it. Like, um, for instance, like the ghost says, it comes with uh, whatever was in your pockets when you died, mm-hmm. but a spectral version thereof. Right. So, so like, when I played a ghost... One of the things that I, that uh, that I had was I had something from my dead wife mm-hmm. that was on me. Yep. So that was one of my trinkets. Oh, what is it with ghosts and dead wives? Well, the one ghost character I ever played was, it was mind you, it was in a different different system, but I, I right. did the exact same thing where my my character's wife died and uh, right. decided that I couldn't live without her and well stepped off, shall we say? The the whole family died in a fire. Ah, okay. In mine, and that was just one of the pieces. But the other thing was is that I was also missing uh, a ever ticking clock, a mm. pocket watch that was in the house, which was now at the the at the mansion that I lived in. But we'll we'll get to where oh. that kind of fits. We're going si- to sidetrack each other. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but bad. this frames what about because not only that within those sheets, but you also have archetype specific questions. Mm-hmm that fit within that, that you have to answer because this helps push you into the game. Right, right, right. And those questions frame everything about what you mean to the story. Yeah, yeah. And what you mean to the city. Uh, now, one of the other things you have to choose, too, is your moves. Mm-hmm. Now, your moves are, your your, your archetype-specific moves are kind of like your character's special abilities. Yes, um, these are things that you will that are specific to you being a vampire or a werewolf or a ghost or whatever. Right. Um, you get a number of these that you are able to choose. Again, as defined by your archetype, it will say check one of these, check two of these, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone gets drama moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are three different types of drama moves: an intimacy move, a corruption move, and an end move. Mm-hmm. And those will all be specified by your by your archetype as well. Now, we'll define moves a little bit more as we get into mechanics. Yep. yep. Um, but understand that your move is a form of ability. That is, it is, I'm going to use that loosely, but think about it in that sense, that it is ability. Like, one of the moves for a fae is fairy magic. Another one is the scales of justice. Another mm-hmm. one are the words are wind. Like, they're very ephemeral for a reason. Right. Right. So, no different than intimacy or corruption moves. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and then lastly, you finish up with debts, which I think are, are I cannot say enough nice things about the debt system in this game. Um, <laughs> so they serve both as role-playing hooks mm-hmm. and a functional reputation system. Yeah, they're, they're kind of in-game currency to a degree. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, everyone starts with debts to at least one other character at the table. Which is fantastic. Um, so instantly you have created bonds 
um, and hooks to other characters in this in, in on, uh, at the table and things that can be spent to yeah. force interaction. These are functional things you can use to leverage that other character. Yep. Um, Which you better do. <laughs> yeah, and you will absolutely cash these things in. Like your bond, your 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 debts don't stick around. Like they're no. not permanent things. They are designed to be, like I said, almost a meta currency that uh, that gets spent and re earned in different ways. As you do favors for other people, you'll earn debts from them. They may call upon debts for you. Um, it's great, but we'll we'll get into that in in the mechanics. I love that uh, Overwatch through in Lannister always pays his debts. Yes, Tyrion saying that that is solidly a mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely a thing. Absolutely yep. a thing. Yep, yep. Uh, so how do we play this game? We've we thrown out a lot of words here. We're talking about factions and debts and moves and stuff like that. I but, will flat uh, say that this game is easy to play. It is hard to master. So. I'm going to kind of go back to what I was saying earlier yeah. about my first encounter with this. And yeah. I don't think, I don't think I got it the first time around. No, totally not. Cause your mind was framed around tactical, uh, uh, interaction that is, that is near rigid. Yeah. And you really, really have to break yourself free of that to play urban shadows. I yep. need you to understand from the get go that this game is super easy to play but only if you understand that this is essentially a setting where you and your friends are going to be sitting around playing make-believe. Yep. Literally just talking about yep. what happens. Yep. Very rarely dice will hit the table. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will, and that's when, you know, you just need to adjudicate a tense situation and a couple of, like, dramatic things happen during it. Yep. This is not something that you're going to be constantly looking at your sheet going, oh, I have a special ability for that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but... But you are going to be keeping track of what's going on a yeah. lot more. Yeah. This game requires focus and discipline. Yes. And I think that's... I, I have to say that before this mechanic session. I think this is really where that fits in, is that when I say discipline... I mean that you can't just rely on sitting around ignoring the game until your character gets a chance to fight or throw a spell or or talk to the one NPC that you give a crap about. The game is about you in the city and how the city interacts with you. If you're the MC of this, which I'll get to, you are not making plots. You are making active NPCs who sit in this world and let your players interact with them. You're going to have just the same kind of debts and moves and things like that involved on your side. But the truth of the matter is is that everything is hinging around gameplay in the moment. Decisions mm -hmm. that you make, whether they turn out good or bad, all have consequences. Yeah, yeah. And those consequences are what makes the story. You already know the whole city. There's there's nothing mysterious about the people in the city. You're never going to have some mysterious politician show up who's been running everything. You know the guy. You know he's on top of that game. What you may not know is all of his game plans because he has a direction and you have to figure that out and how that interacts with you and why you give a damn. But that's what that debt system is for. That's what this whole thing wraps around is that you're baking into this world. And so all of these archetypes, all of this mechanics, all hinge on the fact that the player's moves and what has happened and what has been said matter. Yep. And that's the key. It's not a, I get to go first and I'm going to shoot that guy. 
that has very little relevance in the story. And in fact, you probably won't, because you know the reaction's going to be when you shoot that guy. And all those storytellers are like, hey, you remember your players going through and wiping out an entire town of, uh, of NPCs because they were in murder hobo mode? Consequences happen for that. And they know already know those consequences. The weight is already baked in. So they're not going to do that. Because yeah. they can't. This is this is a game, um, kind of leaning back on that political thing, where you you can't go murder hobo. Like you can't just shoot the guy, because that guy answers to someone. And if his minion doesn't show back up, you know he's gonna have to. You know he'll he'll come calling essentially. Yeah. Like your actions are gonna have consequences like that. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. No, I, but I think, I, I think it's important before going into the mechanics, because when we step into the mechanics, it it frames why it's so loose. Yeah, 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 yeah. But okay. I'm, I'm going to stop okay. right there. Okay. That's kind of where I wanted to pause. I get you. I get you. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, other than that, though, it's a very simple game to play. Yeah. It's 2d6 for everything. Yep. Literally, the entire table can use 2d6. The In fact... All of you could share 2d6. Yeah, because also <laughs> the MC, the Master of Ceremonies, uh, which is the, the name for the storyteller role here, never touches the dice. Nope, doesn't roll a damn thing. Doesn't roll a damn thing. Just tells you what what you guys need to be rolling, you know, when, when he when he hears something that sounds like a move. Mm-hmm. Um, and all tasks are, if you roll six or under, that is a failure. Mm-hmm. If you roll seven, to, seven or higher, it's technically a success. Mm-hmm. I say technically because some, I would say most moves specify that a 7 to 9 is what's known as a weak hit. Yes. And then a 10 plus is known as a strong hit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't matter and all you need is a 7 up. Yeah. But a lot of them will say like 7 to 9 is you're going to get either diminished returns on what you were looking to do or it, or you get what you're looking for and it will come with some sort of a trade-off or consequence. Yeah, some complication. Um, Now... Only roll when a move requires you to. Yep. Everything else is fiction. Yep. I'll say that again. Only roll when a move requires you to. Yep. Everything else is fiction. We are sitting around and we are having a conversation. We are talking. We are role playing. Mm -hmm. I don't say, I'm going to shoot this guy with my pistol. Let me roll to see if I hit him. No. I say... You know what? Screw this guy. I'm pulling out my pistol and I'm putting one in his chest. And the Master of Ceremonies will say, okay, it sounds like you are lashing out with violence. Mm-hmm. I think that's the name of the move. It's something like that. Yeah. Um, which is the name of an attack move, essentially. Yes. Okay. Now the Master of Ceremonies is going to call for a roll. Right. And we'll see how that how that happens. Yep. You know? But you already know, like, and 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 let's be obvious. If this person is a lesser person in the city, right? He, you're you're going to go see a drug lord, right? Because you need to talk to him not about drugs. That doesn't you, you don't. There's nothing you're going to do about that. But the thing that you care about is that a that a ghost uptown is new. Mm-hmm. That ghost is a superhuman ghost. It's a fae who doesn't. Who, who did not intend on being a ghost and is very much upset at the fact that they lost something important when it happened. And one of his guys has that thing. And it better get back and not get sold. So you've got to go talk to this guy. Now, you've got no factional clout, but you're going to go in like a badass and try and 
intimidate your way in. Mm-hmm. Now, in D&D, there'd be all series of things to get up to the door of that guy, right? We'd have three random encounters on the way there. Right. Yeah. But in this case, no. You could literally squeal up your car to the place, jump out, have three of his guys at the front door being like, who the hell are you? And you're like, I'm brute forcing my way in. Okie dokie. What, you're not going to make your roll? No, you you literally have a strength plus three, and you're a brutish dude. Yeah. It's not a problem. And you're walking around with a wizard. So yeah. the moment someone pulls a gun, you literally just wave them away. It isn't until you get to his inner chamber where, like, his personal bodyguards are there, which you know can mess you up because they are not only juiced to the nines, but are also carrying fully automatic weapons that are now trained on you because they heard all the noise coming down the hallway. Yep. So now you're in a situation. So sure, you're in. There we are. You you said that was your plan. Your plan has been executed. You're in. Right. You're now surrounded by goons, and you're trying to play the tough guy act. Let's see how well it works. Exactly. And that's when the story hits. Yes. Yes. And that's when that's when it matters. Because that's the interesting part of yeah. the story. The scuff, a scuffle with a couple goon, goons watching the door is not the interesting part of the story. Yep. And this is when you get to that. Correct. Correct. So that's why tasks mean something and why initiative really doesn't. Yeah. It, it really doesn't. That was one of my that was one of my first like ways that I balked at this game at first was I was like, when where are the rules for initiative? How do you decide who goes first in combat? And then I realized that neither initiative nor combat happens mm-hmm. in this game. You know, pe- and that's not to say violence doesn't happen in this game, but combat doesn't happen in this game, you know? That's, yes. That in, is... the, in the traditional sense, combat is quick, it is violent, it is desperate, and it usually results in people, on uh, like casualties on both sides. Like, it's not, this isn't a stand and fight game. Yeah. This isn't buy some body armor, get yourself a rifle, let's have a, you know, five turn long tactical shoot them up it's no 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 yeah. no so stepping into that there are a few other mechanics there's like the the hold and forward yep now these are these are things that can happen because of moves so like if you're doing some math if you will like you're figuring them out or you're keeping your cool you sometimes that will give you plus and bonuses to other things. So basically you're, you can withhold, not necessarily withhold an action, but basically, you know, it's the part in the movie where like, you know, the, the, there's a, you're at the Mexican standoff moment where you bust through the doors, you walk in and the bad guy looks at you and he goes, all right, what the hell are you doing in my house? And you just don't say anything Mm -hmm. and you just stare and you hope that your respect level holds you. You keep your cool Mm -hmm. and you wait for him to push the line at that point. Maybe you deserve a hold, which will give you a plus one on your next roll. No, no, no. For, or, sorry, uh, forward. One, one forward, yep. One forward. Yep. Or one ongoing, which means it's just going to keep carrying. Uh, hold is hold is something that, that gets called for in only certain moves. That's right. That's certain moves only have that. Uh, and it's, they're basically like tokens, essentially. So like uh, mm-hmm. you go, you hit the streets looking for information. That's right. Um, it might be like, you know, uh, uh, hold two. Mm-hmm. And for each hold you spend for the duration of the scene, ask the GM one one question. They will answer it truthfully. Mm-hmm. That's the information you gathered. You know, yep. um, uh, I know uh, wizards when they like wake up in the morning, you make some sort of like a power roll essentially, and it's right. it's like hold as many successes as you get basically, yep. and it's uh, oracles have that. That's right. Yep. 
Yep, and um, those are those are basically your power points. Yep, for the uh, uh, for for casting your spells. Um, but, but yeah, so these these types of things can be sent as a currency during your moves, effectively, mm-hmm. or bonuses to your moves. Um, it's basically just a little lingo you need to understand. It's it's uh, plus one forward or plus one ongoing is just the lingo that they use, rather than just saying you get a plus one bonus to all right. of your blah blah blah. It's it's just shortened to take plus one forward. Mm-hmm. Um. So then we get into your into into your moves. So what are moves? Um, moves are basically the rules that adjudicate certain actions within the fiction yep. that are left up to chance. So you're not going to have a whole combat scene nope. or anything like that. Like you would have, or or like in Savage Worlds, you have like dramatic tasks mm-hmm. or like interludes yep. you know and those are whole structures for how a certain scene goes you don't have that sort of structure in because you're shadows. not you're not defining it as those things you're not defining it as a combat scene or a social scene or a a research it it's just a scene yeah everything's a social scene until it's not yeah well until ever- somebody pulls out a gun and shoots someone oh i guess it's not it's combat you know everything's fiction until it's important exactly and then and it then requires a move, a move. Right. So, like I said earlier, like you said, okay, you know, I'm I'm done negotiating with this guy. I'm just going to pull out a gun and shoot him. Cool. I'm going to unleash an attack. Sounds like that's an unleash an attack move. Yep, straight so up. So go ahead and roll it. Let's see. Let's see what happens now that we've turned to violence. The, the talking is done, you know? Yep. Um, so everyone gets their basic moves. Uh, it's unleash an attack, escape a situation, persuade an NPC, keep your cool, mm-hmm. etc. There's... I think maybe about a dozen of these yeah. or so. They describe a wide variety of situations that basically anybody is going to find themselves in relatively commonly. And they explain what they do based upon their number, yep. b- uh, upon their success. Yep. Um, mo- most of them have uh, like some sort of consequence if you get a weak hit or an added benefit if you get a strong hit. Yeah. Um, then you have faction moves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh so a few moves, these are basically a few different moves that are, uh, when you are interacting with different factions, a lot of these are sort of like broad social things like, um, uh, hit the streets, mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, gather information, put a face to a name when you're trying to dig up information on a specific person, mm-hmm. uh, investigate a place of power, um, which is, I think maybe like looking, uh, trying to gather information about something that is linked to like, a place that's linked to a faction. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to use your adjoining faction stat for those. And, uh, these are important because these are basically, when you interact with a faction, you check that faction off. And when you have checked all four factions, that's when you get an advance. We'll talk about that more in the advancement thing, but understand that your faction moves are important to use. Yes. It, it, this is one of the things that, that, uh, employs you to be involved in the story and integrated with all of the factions. Yep. It is it is a it is a direct mechanic for role play mm-hmm. and storytelling. Then you have your debt moves, and like I said, I cannot say enough thing, enough good things about the debt uh, the debt system in this. Um, mm-hmm. So this is how you essentially get things done in the politics of the game. You do someone a favor, cash in a debt, refuse to honor a debt, or drop someone's name are the four moves here. Yep. Um. These are very basic, but very powerful mechanics for using favors as currency and reputation. Um, 
I, a lot of other systems have these like you know sort of abstract ra- you know reputation ratings. I think this is great because it causes um, it gives you very con- concrete things that you can use your debts for. Mm-hmm. Very concrete things that you, people you're calling in those debts from, mm-hmm. or or having your own debt called in from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives a kind of an outline for the uses and consequence of each type in a very complex way, only using four moves. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody calls in a favor and you tell them that you can't do that favor for them, either because you're busy, preoccupied, or it's a conflict of interest, or you just decided you don't like that person and you want to be obstinate. Yep. That might have dire consequences for you. Or, depending on how your die roll comes out, they might go, all right, I'll let you off the hook this time, but I still want that debt. Yep. You yep. know? You never know, but it's all the fiction, you know? Mm-hmm. But the fact that there's a complex system of not only being pulled upon as plot hooks, but that you yourself can earn these debts and call upon others as a form of currency. Now, what's interesting about all of these, when we talk about the consequences, is it's not the storyteller telling you the consequence. Mm-hmm. It is the player choosing from the list and say, yeah, I, I'm going to owe them something. All right, let me tell you what he says. Mm-hmm. And that's where the narrative, because now the storyteller can explain, oh, so you're not going to honor it this time? Fine. Next week, you owe me. Yeah. I will see you at this coffee shop at 4 o'clock. You better not be in... You already know that you're going to have to do a delivery for him, and you can't mess this one up. Yep. And but that's the storyteller stepping in after the players made the decision of what the cost was, mm-hmm. what their consequence was. Likely, they could say, like in that case of a debt, they could take corruption. Okay. You you know you feel that well within you that bit of supernaturalism start to churn like a terrible stomach ache. Yeah. And then explain how it all comes together. Maybe yep. a little demon pops out. You know. All those kinds of things can happen, but it's that's where the story, where where the MC, this master of ceremonies, comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you get your last different types of moves, and we we mentioned these earlier uh, in the character creation section. The drama moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drama moves are corruption moves, mm-hmm. intimacy moves, and an end move. Now your corruption moves are basically represent letting the supernatural or the darker nature of your archetype in. Um, tapping into those forbidden powers or letting the beast within out a little more. Yeah. Or... It's not to say that, like, as a werewolf, using your werewolf powers causes corruption. That You're a werewolf. That's going to happen. Sure, sure, but sure. But there's a second layer there where things get dark. There's a big difference between I'm a werewolf, therefore I'm strong, mm-hmm. and I'm a werewolf, and I'm going to let a carnivorous beast do the thinking for a second here. Exactly. And I might like it. Yeah. It. Doctor Strange. He uses his powers all the time. But on occasion, sometimes he goes a little beyond himself. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need to use a spell from that forbidden book. That's right. And sometimes that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Um... So when you use corruption moves, uh, you'll definitely grow more powerful, but you will also grow grow more other. Uh, at a certain point after marking corruption, I think it's up about five marks, um, you basically turn your character over. You are no longer in control of your character, and your storyteller may uh, bring you back as a threat. Uh, you may you may be a villain in future arcs of that uh, of that story. Um, if you become corrupted, it's very much like the humanity track in Vampire the Masquerade. If, if you're familiar with that, um, kind of tracks the morality of your character. 
your next up in move is called an intimacy move. Um, these are interesting. They're they're really interesting because initially, like you think intimacy, and usually intimacy is just a sanitized word for sex, which it is not in this at all. But I mean, it can be. Oh, it definitely could be. It can be, but that's like literally one flavor of a broad range of intimacies here. Um, intimacy is when you share an intimate moment, which might include uh, like a vampire feeding on you, is a very intimate thing. Yeah. Um, especially if it's allowed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a psychic bonding of sorts mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, some sort of a mingling of souls. Uh, it might even be something like, literally, I brought over a case of beer, and you and I are just going to have a night of drinking and talking and sharing stories and maybe crying a little. And I am I might share a secret with you. Yeah, that's an intimacy move. That's an intimacy move. And it, it has effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, just... And it's different for every archetype. Right. Those will be laid out for you. But understand that moments of intimacy are important for every single archetype. Yeah. And then you have your end move. Yeah. I love the end moves. I, I, I think it's fantastic that there are these. When your character retires. Or, or dies. Four more, four, far more likely dies. Yeah. Far more likely. <laughs> you can use your end move. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for the wizard, this one is like a death curse. Yeah. Um, that can do some really powerful, very stupid stuff. But, uh, of course, it's literally with your de- with your character's last dying breath that you were able to use it. Yes. Um. It's just kind of a way for your character to go out with a dramatic bang. And I, I adore that. I absolutely adore that. Uh, yeah, right. I, I think the example that they give is uh, like a, a wizard fighting their way out of a situation finds themselves at the top of a 15th story building where there's a wizard's club at the base of it and knows that they're never going to be able to leave this building mm-hmm. and they're, they're just, they're, they're going to die there. And so when they're dying breath, they curse the other wizard to be immortal and repent their sin to repent for their sins. It's a demon he's fighting. Oh, sorry, there's a demon. It's a, it's right. a demon he's fighting. And he says, I, I curse the demon to be mortal until he, until he repents his sins. And it's then, like, all, like, the horns go back into his head, and all of a sudden his skin changes color, his eyes go back to just being blue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other person who was still fighting with him goes, okay, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was a really good example. Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's fantastic that you get that moment, that last breath of, like, the, yep. the middle finger going up, you know, and like, I've got you, you know? Yep, yep, absolutely. Um. The only thing that I'm going to say to this that um, that this doesn't address, that the second edition has already released that they're starting to address, is that um, one of the things they talk about in in the game in first edition, but it it isn't really well handled, is where you sit in the pecking order is very important. Factions are all about organizational structure. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bosses, minions, lesser people, goons, and nobodies, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody has a certain cast that they kind of sit in and moving between groups casts have weight so for instance if i am owed a favor from someone who's at basically let's say cast level two yeah in a faction and i go to cast level one people and you, you know and i'm in a bad situation and i drop that debt it has way more impact mm-hmm. on the other hand if i'm talking to a cast level three person and i'm only a cast level one person that person doesn't give two craps about me at all Right, In fact, right. I'm, I'm tissue to that person. You're not gonna. You're not. So you're, you, as a line cook, are not gonna say to the CEO of the company, "Well, my general manager owes me a favor." Right. He doesn't care. So, so like yeah. with debts specifically, if I, if I, if I say no to a debt mm-hmm. of someone who I who's higher on the chain, that has a lot more weight. 
Yeah. And so they kind yeah. of explain that a little bit better. They go into a little bit more detail. Um, so expect that out of second edition. Some It'll feel like a change, but they basically just added a little extra text within the moves and, and the debt system specifically, um, especially for the storytellers. Like, how does that weight play out? Mm-hmm. How can you make that weight feel? Because they it really wasn't really well flushed out in first edition. And I, I definitely noticed that. Um because again, you're like, okay, there's factions, but like, where's the, the pecking order? How does this feel? Right, right, so, right, right, right. So, yep, okay. So okay just, just moving on. I just want to put that right in there. Uh, so here, advancement, advancement's really easy. Um, it, it sounds like a lot when you describe it, but uh, uh, I've, I've got like a, a whole bullet list here on how to how, how advancement works. Um, <laughs> basically, so every time you do a faction move, you mark that faction. Um, and that's it. Like, uh, you can't mark a faction more than once. So, like, once I've interacted with mortals or once I've interacted with the knight faction, um, that's it. It's it's checked. Mm-hmm. Once I get checks on all four of those, mm-hmm. I get an advance. Yep, that's it. I can then spend my advance on a number of things as defined by my archetype. Like we said, our, the archetypes are a almost a pre-filled character sheet with a bunch of check boxes on them. Yep. Um, and your... Uh, archetype will tell you when you get an advance, basically you can check one of these boxes or you can add one to an attribute, or you can check any one of these boxes over here. Maybe take a, um, uh, learn a move from another archetype. Yeah. You can actually cross class that way. You can be a wizard or you can be a, like a, a vampire that picks up a little magic. You could also be a werewolf who changes factions and now works for the vampires. Yeah. Not only to say you could also have, uh, um, a workspace. If you're a wizard, like I want, like now I've got my own space. I want to have a sanctum or a workspace that I mm-hmm, have that gives mm-hmm. me some benefits. Uh, you can take some time to work on yourself mm-hmm. and erase some scars or some corruption, which does happen. Uh huh. Um, improve special features like your workspace or faction or, or, or sanctum if you've already got them. Mm-hmm. Learn new spells or transformations. Again, all depending on what your what your archetype is. Um, or at a certain point, if you just want to end your story, mm-hmm. you can retire your character possibly triggering your end move depending on yep. what happens there yep and and or become a different archetype for instance you could go from being a wizard to being a ghost mm-hmm. i mean if you die there's, yeah there's an entry fee yeah there's an entry <laughs> fee there's a feature uh, but there is group advancement yeah um i mean like like you were saying earlier you've got all these factions and such like that so uh certain advancements are things like okay now you've got a werewolf pack mm-hmm now you're in a clan of vampires. Now you're in a conclave of uh, storytellers. I mean, uh, wizards. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, you know you'll gain the benefit of having those friends around. Yep. As an advancement. So, all right, running the game. I'm gonna re-reference here for a second. We've been talking a lot. All right. So, running I mean, it, it is a podcast. It is a podcast. This that does happen. Um, but one of the things that when you're thinking about running this game is you have to remember, like we started at the beginning, that this is not D&D. This is not a tactical game. This is not traditional storytelling, even so much as we kind of pen it out. You're not building a structure as a storyteller at all. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're not building a world. Your players are building that world. They're building the city with you. Mm-hmm. They're talking about where the factions are in that city and what they're important things that they have going on that is what you're listening to to build the moments that are going to occur and that's where the the discipline comes in with your players as well is that you can't be three steps ahead of your storyteller thinking you know what the plot is 
you still have to be in the moment because things that you do within that moment are going to change the story. You deciding whether you do or don't shoot the drug dealer and, and decide to let him go makes a difference in your story and the story of your group, right? Because now that guy might owe you something later, right? He may see you and be like, oh, crap, you let me go. Okay, I, you're cool, you're cool, you know, kind of a thing. That fictional positioning is important. Mm -hmm. So like in D&D, &D, oftentimes descriptions can get messed up. It can be like, okay, we're going to we're gonna break down the door and I'm going to go right and you're going to go left. And then as soon as you say, okay, you break down the door and there's a wall of ice three feet in front of the wall and three feet in front of you, you can see glimmering fiery shapes on the other side of it. Everybody roll initiative. You know, and then you're like, oh crap, that's not the way I'm going to go. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But I had this readied. None of that matters. Yep. In this game, it is, all right, I am going in because I'm saving my friend. You're going to go into the building? Yeah. Going to, he, if he's in there while this while that shit's going on and someone's tossing his place, I'm going to cover him. All right. You head upstairs, and the first thing you see is this monstrous pile of garbage tossing around his room like some kind of crazed elemental. As soon as it sees, it turns and roars. Oh, crap. Maybe I shouldn't have just ran in the door. I forgot there were... There were there were elements at work here that could have been part of another faction. Mm -hmm. There's no going back. There's no, I readied my gun. It's, you made that decision. This is where you are now. And that factors into everything. What you say matters. What you do matters. So it matters that you are in the moment together with the group. And that's the difference about this being a traditional beer and pretzels where you can kind of meta and think about things. Mm -hmm. You're going to have that, but in the scenes, you are there. Yep. And both as the players and as the MC. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So agendas, with that in mind. <laughs> All right. With that in mind. Uh, so uh, under the running of the game section, um, I mean, it suggests three agendas um, for the for the storyteller for the for the master of ceremonies. Uh, make the make the city feel political and dark. Yes. Keep the characters' lives out of control and evolving. Yes, I love that. And play to find out what happens. If you can remember those three things for every game you run, whether it's City of Mist or anything else. You have a great story to tell. I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, and I, I think that that middle one, the keep the characters' lives out of control and evolving, is probably the biggest one that I think all of us need sitting. Because uh, how does the saying go? Uh, is it beer? Because no, because no good story ever started with a salad. Yeah. Hold my here. Hold my salad does not sound right. Right, right. Adventures <laughs> don't happen when people make sensible choices. You no, know, no. People make people with salads laugh. It's on every photo I've ever seen. So a couple of critical role cast talking about why do heroes always have uh, or D and D heroes always have tragic backstories? It's like because the because the ones that don't have tragic backstories are comfortable at home. Yeah. You're like hey hey Bob, uh, you want to go uh, clean out that vampire nest? Nope. I want to stay here with my wife and my kid and run my successful business. Yeah, exactly. You have fun though. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? Clearly, you <laughs> need to. <laughs> right. You seem like you've got some things to work out. Yeah. Um. So you know, keep the characters' lives out of control. Uh, it's it's very much that that hero's call to adventure. If they don't answer the call, make them answer the call. Well, that's the thing; they're not heroes. Yeah. Well, they're... I'm I, he heroes in the sense that they're pro I'm sorry, ah. the protagonists. Protagonists. Yes. Protagonists do something to shake up their lives. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. 
or maybe be, they'll tell you. <laughs> be, be the be the stormtroopers that destroy Luke's uh, Luke's moisture farm and kill Aunt. There you uh, go, <laughs> Uncle Owen and, and Aunt Brew. Brew. Yep, exactly. Um, so then they've got a number of principles, and uh, everyone should read all of these for all games forever. I agree. I agree. These should be embedded in your mind. In and I I like to say buy the book for this. Buy the book for this. Buy the book for this. For this right here. Yep. Make a poster of it. Hang yep. it on your wall. Hang it on every wall. Yep. Number one, display the city from skyscrapers to slums. Yep. Address yourself to the characters, not to the players. Yep. Push the characters together, even across boundaries. Mm-hmm. Put the characters at the center of conflicts, political and personal. Mm-hmm. Cloak your move your uh cloak your moves in darkness. It doesn't say hide them. It says cloak them. Mm-hmm. Which means they will always be revealed. Name everyone. Give them all drives. If you put a dude in a scene, he has a name and he has a reason to be there. That is that is the point of our entire episode on writing good NPCs. Exactly. Right? Yep, done, right there. We've done a couple of those. We could have just well, said, name everyone, give them all drives, and good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the follow-up to that is treat everyone according to their station. Yep. If this guy is just a low-level nobody on the street... Rough him up a little bit yeah. and send him on his way. Yep. Uh, ask loads of questions and build on those answers. Yep. Be a fan of the player's characters. We say this one all the time, and yep. this is exactly where we got that phrasing from. Mm-hmm. Be a fan of the player's characters. Mm-hmm. Give the players the chance to weigh in. Time to think. But not too much. Not not too much. I mean, don't... I, uh, don't this, let them change their mind. Don't let them change their mind. Yep. But understand that their choices in the fiction are important to them. And that once their mind is made up, they will not be given the leverage to go back and change it again to make a more tactical option. Yep. But give them the time to think. Yeah. Dirty the hands of all involved. Yep. Good, bad, indifferent, gray, doesn't matter. Yep. And give everything a price, even friendship. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing to say. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is... If you can't do that, it, you are not being honest to this setting. Yeah. That yeah. if if you could sum up Urban Shadows in a single statement that they put in the book, I believe that's it. Yeah. I agree. I agree. If you want to walk away from Urban Shadows knowing nothing else, that right there is the most important concept that you can possibly have in this game. If you can understand that, mm-hmm. then you understand Urban Shadows. I agree. Uh, and then the other thing that, like, um, I had, you know, I mentioned I had a tough time with is that, you know, encounters for, in most other game systems are very, uh, compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Like I said, in Savage Worlds, you've got very, like, clear lines of delineation, you know, this is a dramatic task, this is a chase, this is a, a, an interlude, you know, uh, and you don't really have any of that here, um, in the storyteller section, they they mentioned that uh, they mentioned doom clocks. They do, yeah. Uh, and they they go into detail on something called storms, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, basically you know a series of events, you know, and stuff like that. They give you uh, frameworks essentially for how to kind of move uh, cr- to create motion in the story. Yes, to push certain NPCs or certain factions in certain directions that will cause conflicts mm-hmm. inevitably. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they don't tell you like how to write those things out. Those aren't encounters. They're just motivations. Yeah. They're just they're just a series of well articulated goals. Yeah. And and I think and, and again, I, I I press back to you, this is an adult mature game. Mm-hmm. It is expecting you to understand that it's and it's gonna give you pretty darn clear written examples. Yeah, sure. Like you know, straight up examples of like, hey, this is how you're gonna. This is an example of how you would do the scene, both from a meta perspective to the storyteller. Like, hey, we're teaching you this. We're gonna give you a little bit of flavor here, but it doesn't go through everything at that level. It is expecting you to fill in the gaps when it talks about how uh, manipulating a vampire group from a a wizard's group. And how those two factions might bind against each other for a common change, a third, so a triangular fashion. You have the players in one corner mm-hmm. who are against, who might have faction points against the wizards, and on the other corner you have the the you know the oracles wizards. On the other corner you've got the vampires, mm-hmm. and they're also against the wizards, but they're also against you. That triad, those triangle points, are what you have to keep in mind. Everyone mm-hmm. is looking at the same problem with a different direction and how they're going to solve it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the wizards are looking to get their hands on an ancient artifact because it's going to give them insight into where they can find certain tomes of the the books of the uh, of Alexandria. The vampires on the other hand want nothing more than to make sure they never get their hands on other books that they don't know about. So they have to make sure that that oracle item never gets in their hands, and they're going to keep it locked away where they've always kept it, because the secrets of the vampire societies need to be kept secret, even if you hate your brother vampire, regardless. And the players are stuck in this because of two things. One, one of them knows where it is in the alcoves of the the, uh, uh, vampire coven, because they're friends with those people, and they've seen it. They may not be aware that they've seen it, but they've seen it, and the wizard oracles have a divination that says that person has been in that room. Mm-hmm. So now the players are directly involved. So all of that comes down, but you're like, okay, like, how do I play out a scene with that? That's up to you. Yeah. I don't know who's involved in your game. Right, exactly. But that's that's the way factions bind, and it's like, okay, well, that's... Okay, so now I have to figure that out. Yes, yes, you do. Yeah. And that is why it is complex. It is. A, there's a <laughs> lot of <laughs> there's a lot of mental work in this. There's a big part of me that's like really compelled by this setting that, I, and I want to run it. But then there's another part of me that's like, oh, I'd suck at that. Well, it's that's not that's not my forte. It is. It is not a beer and pretzels game. Yeah. You may sit back with beer and pretzels, but there's a lot of thinking going on. Yeah. A lot. And that's not to say I'm not good at thinking. I'm just, I need more structure, I think. I need a little more structure and a little more control personally. I'd find this very difficult to run. All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna do my hot take in the DM section. Sure. Um, and kind of, since, since, and give you a second to breathe over the mechanics. You did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if anything, I can say it's honest and it's funny. Um, what, a couple quotes from the book that I think are, 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 are stand out on their own is, you are a host, a constructor of situations as the MC." not plots, and a creator of space, not outcomes. You're an instigator, one who sets the hooks in the characters and drag them forward, not toward a dramatic conclusion that you've selected. So the whole idea being that you're creating initiatives that will eventually present the problem to them that 
they're falling into on their own. Now, you do have to commit to the moment you're in and follow the fictional logic of the situation at hand, caring deeply about the outcome, but giving yourself room to find out what happens. You have to learn to stop demanding the story go your way and trust that the story is going somewhere interesting. And if if there was one single sentence I could say, if you buy this book for nothing else, it is that. That you can trust that the story is going somewhere interesting. If anybody could do that in D&D, I think we'd have better stories. So many people say, the plot's not happening the way I wrote it. Well, you're done wrong right there. You have to trust that your players are going to take it somewhere interesting and then follow them and kind of just keep making terrible things happen along the way that fit, that fit what the framework is. Mm -hmm. The direction and flow of the book feels natural. It's got great highlighted text. Um, The pre, all the sections of the book kind of have this and they draw you very quickly to what you need to know. So, as a as books go, I find that they've done a great job with just simple black and white and 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 a little bit of, of framework. Unlike a lot of the books that uh the the lot the smaller um core rule sets that we've gone through where they've used a lot of flashy font changes to mm-hmm. kind of get the same thing, this book does it in a much cleaner format mm-hmm. uh that people who are colorblind can enjoy. <laughs> um but <laughs> also that. like somebody like me who has dyslexia it helps me read through this because a lot of things are changes in uh, in fonts and 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 uh, italicization that helps me very quickly figure out where I'm sitting within the, the line. It's not giant blobs of text. Yeah, there's good there's good spacing too to kind of separate concepts from one another, so you never have to go fishing through like a paragraph block of text to find the one line you're looking for. And in the DM section, their references to page numbers about events that happened previously are very quickly presented. Very quickly, yes. So you're yes. you're never feeling like I'm in the DM section, but I forgot how to do this thing. What page is that on? They just told you. Mm-hmm. They literally just told you. Yep. Um, yep. So it helps you make sure that you know how to tell, how to narratively tell the story in a very straightforward way. Everything is is defined in actions. They don't give you, oh, you know, when running a game. No, 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 no. This book literally yells at you at points. Mm-hmm. It tells you in explicit terms, almost angrily, this is your job. <laughs> your job is to keep the story moving. Your job is to misinterpret misses or interpret misses. Your job is to present represent the city. That is your job. It doesn't say, well, if you want to represent... No, it literally smacks you in the face and says, this is your job as an MC. Don't do other things. Do it! Um, it does talk about soft moves versus hard moves are a spectrum, whereas with the players, like, they have moves. As a storyteller, you have soft moves and hard moves, all the way from, like, a person walking into a room where they're going to have a conversation with somebody, you know, or gets brought... You get dragged into the room where the leader is, and he looks at you and says, you know... I should probably off you. Convince me not to. Exactly. Yeah. It's a soft move. Mm-hmm. That's a soft threat. There's there's definitely danger being presented to you, but you have a lot of leverage as a character how you want to play this one. And the weight to the player when the when you ask them at the end of that, 
what are you going to do mm-hmm. changes when you open the scene with you're dragged into the room and slapped down on the table. The goon hits you a second time in the stomach. When the leader leans over you and holds his 9mm in his waist so that you can see it sitting, just slightly balls out and goes, I should off you right here and right now. Give me a reason not to. Pull... That's a much harder move. All the way out to, as you come in, he literally pulls his gun, says, Gringo, give me a good reason why I shouldn't just do this now. Presses it to your forehead and says, I'm going to. You know the weight (laughs) changes on each one of those things. The person who you're dealing with is at a different level, and that pushes that hardness factor. But everything always ends with, what do you do? And that's why moves are moves. They're an approach of how you're going to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. And you've got great examples through the whole book that are literally mechanical plus narrative in easy-to-find sections that are plastered through this giant book. And I love that they do that, but they also do one more thing, which is very important, which I don't think any other game really handles well, and that is they discuss player versus player. As the story, mm-hmm. as, a, as an MC, as the Master of Centuries, how do you handle player versus player? And they lay it out explicitly. Yeah. In a beautiful I'm way. trying to think back, and I don't think I've ever seen that in another Not book. even in White Wolf do they handle that well. Yeah. And White Wolf definitely has player versus player. Oh, yeah, it definitely, <laughs> definitely has some problems with that. But, like, that whole concept of how do you deal with that? How do you handle the moves? And, I mean, it's dice versus dice, right? And I'm not going to say, get the book. Read it. It's mm-hmm. a good section for anyone. Yep. Because they do a great job of talking about it, not just in this mechanic sense, but in how that affects the story, how that affects the players, and how it affects the characters. Mm-hmm. But remember, you're always talking to the character. All right, we've been hammering at this for a while. Yeah, you want to do closing thoughts real quick? I think so. we got some questions, too, so let's get through those, too. But uh, go ahead and start, because uh, I, I wrote some ideas down, at least, for me. So for me, Urban Shadows... What does it um, do well? I, I really like this one uh, for... Um, I, I really like its simplicity and how much complexity it pulls from a very simple, very straightforward set of rules. Yeah. Uh, the archetypes are all, like... Super well written, mm-hmm. um, very engaging, very thought provoking. You can do a lot with them. They're very flexible, mm-hmm. um, so they're not. They're not. Uh, you don't feel. I don't think you would ever feel pigeonholed. No, running any sort of an archetype. There's a lot of different options. Even though it is just a short checklist of like choose one of these three things. Like you can still very much customize them, and the things that you choose are not so binding that it ever pigeonholes you. And it's all about your character, mm-hmm. not about their abilities. Exactly, that's the exactly. key difference there. Uh, that's that's the other that's the other thing that I think it really does. Is it's a very character forward narrative system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very much like that and appreciate that. Um, it doesn't try to be something it's not. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, a question coming up um, uh, from Nevim about uh, other urban fantasy settings. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to outright say. Um, that I think Urban Shadows is the best of them so far mm-hmm. because I think it knows what it is. I think it knows what it's trying to do, and I think it's a fine-honed tool that does that very well without yeah. overcomplicating it or getting distracted by other game mechanics. I agree. I agree with all those statements. Um, I think it is fast and deep and detailed mm-hmm. uh, because everyone's involved from the beginning. You're immediately getting investment. 
You're building the city, you're building backgrounds, there's secrets between players, there's hooks that tie them together, there's the debts that bind them, that have mechanical things. Like, Dungeon World, you have those mechanics, but they still, like, they're there to help with roleplay. Whereas in this game, they literally are necessary. You want to use your debts. You need to use your debts. And because of that, you define a very different way to play the game. The system tells you to use them, mm -hmm. tells you to connect with the factions that your other players are involved with. I mean, if if I if <laughs> if D and D said that I had to role play with every one of the other people at the table before I could advance and level, it would be a very different game. Yeah, yeah, it would. And it's not even everyone at the table. It's everyone at the table who they work for. Right, right. <laughs> like, what's their thing? Like, that changes the game to a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. That forces role-play, not tactical play. Yeah. Which is what D&D &D is. Yep. So that is that is the difference there. And I, and I will say this. If you've played Dungeon World and you're comfortable with Dungeon World, you will find some crossover here on the narrative side. Oh, there's a lot of crossover here, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it will feel there will be a comfort level there for yeah. that. If you're coming from D&D, &D, you may be exceptionally uncomfortable with this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like you, I said, last time I read it, I was coming from D and D. Now that I've now that I've I've got experience with a lot more different game systems, I've read a couple Apocalypse World ones, and uh, uh, I'm playing Savage Worlds now. I've eased back on the everything needs structure and tactics, mm -hmm. and I get it a lot better. Yeah, and and I'll say even if you've come from things like um, from other narrative games that are e even like you know the pocket games mm -hmm. that are mostly narrative. Um, you will find comfort in this and find some some of the structure to be actually kind of crunchy in some ways. Now, coming to what I don't think the the, the game does well, because okay. I think that's a really good segue, yeah. is that's kind of my negative for it, too. Yeah. This took me two reads a couple <laughs> years apart to really click with. Be but it also comes from your 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 position of, pre of perception. Sure, sure, sure. But... I, I, I think a game system should stand on its own, mm -hmm. and the fact that I had to entirely shift my paradigm mm -hmm. to be able to understand how to play this game um, says something about how extreme it is on the like narrative versus simulationist yeah, our, scale our, our tactical scale <laughs> yeah if if you're if you are in a mindset of liking you know things along the far end of the simulationist you know slash tactical scale mm -hmm. um this is going to be a tough sell for you yeah i will tell you straight out there is like when i read through this entire rule book four times and couldn't find how, where where you roll initiative mm -hmm. like how how do you have combat without rolling initiative like I couldn't wrap my brain around that. Yep. Um, yep. So I, I would say that's – it's just an extreme, um, f for me at least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it came across a, on, the, on the far end of the spectrum from where I tend to like my games. Yep. Um, or at least to where I was at the time. I think I've, I think I've drifted down towards it a little more. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I'm understanding a little bit better. But uh, it might be a hard sell for some people. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is that I would have a tough time running this game. Um, not because I'm not smart enough or good enough or good looking enough. And gosh and, darn people like you. And gosh darn it, people do like me. <laughs> but, um, I have trouble personally 
thinking in seven different directions at once of, okay, what is every other faction in the city currently feeling about this event right now? Right. And then bringing that to life at my table. Yeah. I personally am very good at running a very straightforward plot with precisely one twist in it. Yeah. And making it the best darned refined experience that everybody has had at the table. Um, this just isn't my particular cup of tea from a storytelling standpoint. I am absolutely head over heels in love with the urban fantasy genre. But I need to be honest with myself about my strengths and weaknesses. And this plays directly into my weakness. That's fair. That's fair. I will say that uh, on on my things that I don't think it does well, I agree with you. I think that it is it can feel demanding not just for the MC but for the players involved, mm -hmm. because unlike D and D, where you can sit back and wait for your turn and actually have almost zero interaction with the game and not be engaged, the moment that you do that, the game dies. Yep. If a player in this isn't active. With the other players, proactive, yeah, yeah, you, and and involved in the scenes and talking about what's going on, it dies because everything drives from the player and character interaction. If you don't have that, it isn't. So in that sense, that um, it is dependent, like like a shark, it has to keep moving, and that movement has to come from the players. It truly does. Yeah. Um. So in that it creates its own wake. Your ramifications of your actions are what drive it. And that is in itself a crux of a problem for a storyteller. Whereas with a traditional tabletop game, I know the events that I'm comfortable with running for that session. If I'm going into emceeing City of Mist or Urban Shadows, I don't necessarily know what the players are doing. I don't know how a scene is going to go. I don't know what's important. So I have to kind of gauge how long the curve of excitement and thrill moves through things. Yeah, yeah. And that is challenging in a plot and scaffold game. And this game is not plot and scaffold. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, games like this are very, like, I would, I would describe them as processor-heavy. You know, oh, one hundred percent. In in video games, you've got certain games that are poorly optimized, and for like a lot of older games, this happens a lot. Where it doesn't matter how good of a graphics card you have, because it chews on your processor, not your GPU. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I I feel like this is like the the tabletop version of that because you almost can't plot ahead and use your strength of having a pre-written plot and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you can't pre-prep for a game like this. No. It has to be run directly on your, just on your brain, on your processor. Yeah. In the, in the heat of the moment. So. Yeah. Um. Anything, any final thoughts? Um, yes. I was going to say one other thing, and that was, is that, um, the other thing about this is it is at a very mature setting. Yeah. Yeah. So you have you have to be a mature individual to be able to step into a game and be able to talk about sexism, racism, bigotry, uh classism, mm -hmm. uh drugs, uh um demands, coercion, coercion, manipulation, yeah. mm -hmm. lying, cheating, thieving, murder with a capital M. Yeah. 
not, you know, thugs. Not murder hobo. Ha ha ha. We killed everything in the dungeon. Right. But like murder. Right. And and we're not even talking about the detail of those actions and making them, you know, grotesque or 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 shaky to even talk about. We're just talking about understanding that that action happened and that it has weight and importance. Yeah. You know, when a player when, when a player character uh you know, decides that they're going to have an intimate moment and they and they expose to your character that they were abused as a child mm-hmm. and left in a dumpster by their parents like the abuse didn't have to be detailed that moment just got hard oh yeah if you drop that at a D table people are gonna be like okay that's a little dark can we go kill some goblins now that's like... tuesday night in an in an urban shadows game yeah okay that, yeah. that's that's normal yeah okay so understand that it ta- that just going into this you're you're creating weight now i'm not saying you have to get to that level of depth but it re- but the game demands it mm-hmm. it demands that there is a that there is a harsh reality to the city yeah and that harsh reality is the truth that makes everything cost something that has that weight yep. to keep the lights on the city bleeds yep like and that's that's hard that's hard. You, you, it's hard to find layers of gray in that. So don't expect joy and happiness to come out of these types of games. Well, that's not to say you're not going to have some moments of levity and stuff like that. But no. like, uh, this isn't really a game that you go into laughing the whole time. Nor is this the, in, in a, on the other end of the spectrum, nor is this Game of Thrones where everyone a, is a straight up jerk. Mm-hmm. And murder is uh, is this is just something that happens every five seconds. Sure, it's just it's just something that kind of demands to be taken a little seriously, is all. Right, and in all honesty, there's a lot of people who don't want to play Urban Shadows right now because of everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, that yeah. they're not comfortable with that level of of gritty realism. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who want to play this so that they have some place to release that mental energy. Yeah, agreed. And I, I applaud both groups. It's called catharsis. That's right. So I'm going to just say this. Be prepared. But by God, does this does this book give you a lot? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It, and it keeps on giving. So, All right. Let's grab some questions here. All right. Uh, so Nevim asked a slew as per usual. Thank you, Nevim. Um, which version of Urban Shadows are you spotlighting? Uh, so we, we spotlighted – I think we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but this mm-hmm. is all about uh, first edition. But second edition – um, is still going through Kickstarter right yeah, now. It's in it's in process. Uh, kind of being released um, through Backer Kit um, in like little bits and pieces mm-hmm. as they kind of finish it off. Uh, it's already been pushed back by like a year, and apparently yeah. more delays are on uh, ongoing. But they're Co- very supportive. They're very supportive. Uh, Kickstarter did or uh, COVID did hit them kind of hard, and uh, they also Magpie Games also got the license for Avatar: The Last Airbender yeah. uh, RPG. So that was kind of there was a lot of eyes on that one. So. Yeah, um, I, I will say this: if you if you feel the itch, get the first edition on Drive Through RPG, or just go grab the Kickstarter and give it a look. Uh, there's it's there's free. a quick start guide, yeah, yeah. a free free kick uh, uh, no, quick start quick start guide uh, for second edition on Drive Through RPG. So yep. yeah, go go grab it, have some fun with it. Um, I just the... mostly want I didn't I didn't want to highlight or do a system spotlight on a quick start guide. No, no, no. We needed to de- we needed to dig a little deeper so that you guys felt comfortable. But honestly, if you're in the uh, second edition uh, Kickstarter, which I am, um, they've been very forthcoming with mm-hmm. how things are going and and releasing bits. I 
I foresee that this get this is definitely going to get done, definitely. Yep. And again, it's not major changes. It's yep. just better and more. So, uh, is it a good implementation of Powered by the Apocalypse system? Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's a great way of handling it. I mm-hmm. think it, it grabbed all the core elements and basically shined them like a diamond. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, what aspect of the game surprised you the most? Uh, definitely the debt system. Okay. Um, simply because it was so simple. It's like two pages of rules. Mm-hmm. And, and like well-spaced, well-formatted. So it's not even like two full pages of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... I could see so many different interactions coming from it, mm-hmm. just acu- just adjudicating debts, and the fact that you can you you know like usually you see systems like this just as acting as plot hooks mm-hmm. of like oh you you owe this other powerful character a debt ha 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 so now they're going to make you go on an adventure, mm-hmm. but the fact that like players can and will accumulate debts from maybe other players, maybe other NPCs and stuff like that, and call them in themselves as resources to get yeah. things done. Yeah. You know, um, that's like, that. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. Because it, it, that mechanic right there puts the players on a give take, not just a take. Yeah. Um, mentality in so many other role playing games, like you're the adventuring group. Right. Mm-hmm. You're the one that everybody like there's always kind of that meta question that nobody asks of like, well, why are we the ones that have to solve everything? Why is the king looking for mercenaries when he should? He's the king. Yeah, right. Right. He should have like spec op squads you sure. know, yeah, yeah. To, to go do this for him. Why does right. he need to pay 500 gold for mercenaries that we are? You know, right, right, right. And I, I think this, you know, there, there's always that like we're the ones on call to fix other people's problems. But mm-hmm. there's never people who fix our problems. This takes care know? of that. Yeah. And this does that. It puts you right in the mix. You're giving. You're taking. Yeah. There's a debt economy. Yeah. And you're just part of it. Like Constantine showing up to Lucifer to get into to, – to, to pull his debt to be able to get into hell. Yeah. That kind of crap. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like Lucifer is just like, I know why you're here. <laughs> Like, right. I already know what you want. Right, like, right, We're going right. to kibitz ever so slightly, and then I'm going to go back to what I was doing, and you're going to go to hell. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. But, uh, but and, and, and I do love that. I do love it. For me, I honestly think um, it's the uh, uh, dramatic moves. And what surprises me about those, the intimate move, the dramatic move, the end move, is uh, that... Corruption move. Or corruption move. Yeah. Is... If you just lifted that little section out and set it in any other system and changed it to a token Mm -hmm. for doing one of these, you get a token. Like whatever, a Benny, whatever. Sure, okay. It would add so much more roleplay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't think its cost is very high because really there's only two things that are going to be advances and the last one is your end move. It's literally, is, literally your character's death. So. Right. Which I think is badass regardless. Right, right, and right. I think you should totally get, you know, maybe the group gets a Benny for you doing that. And I think that's great. Sure, spending. sure, sure. But the whole point is is that that right there lets gives the player an agency that they're like, oh man, I know this is going to cost me, but I'm going to get something cool for it. Uh-huh. Like, or I'm in this cool moment. I'm going to hard role play. I'd like to do an intimate moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. How's this go? And just having that helps frame role play to people mm-hmm. in very clear ways. And I think that was the most surprising that it, something that after all of this other stuff that talks about narration and how you're supposed to do your moves, it stops and just for a second goes, by the way, <laughs> right, right. we're going to show you mechanically how to role play. 
<laughs> those those few moments where your character bears their soul or yeah. digs down deep into something and there's something down there for them either their last moment of desperation yeah or a moment where they where they touch the darkness inside of them yes. or the moment where somebody else reaches inside them and touches them right and those three things are core moments of role play that doesn't happen yeah you force it by a die roll that hits 20 and <gasps> something to ama- i become a beast mm-hmm. or i have to activate something no that's a power no big deal that's yeah i can do that every day of the week on the other hand i can say i'm tapping into my demon lord and i'm going to go kill this guy with fire but not my normal fire we're talking hellfire and you're like <laughs> you know that's worth the token yeah the, the demon <laughs> i made a pact with is just good i'm just gonna let him i'm just i'm i'm gonna take a back seat just and gonna, I'm just going to let him. Yeah. We're going to have a very brief conversation dramatically that's mm-hmm. all going to happen in an 18th of a second. And then my eyes are going to change color. And the guy in front of me is going to emulate. Yeah. And I don't care how that happens. I'm going to take a point of corruption and we're going to go on. And everyone's going to know that it happened. Brimstone is usually brimstone. <laughs> yeah. So, but but that right there, being able to paint that in black and white and show a good way of doing it is beautiful to me. Yeah. Absolutely. It's beautiful to me. Uh, so the, does the game uh, does the game come with built-in setting, or do you have to build one? I think we kind of already talked about this. I will this. say yes and no. Um, and if you have to build it, do you have some guidelines? Yes, 100%. Um, you are building the city with the players at the table, and I say you, I mean as a group. Yeah. I'm not saying the MC is doing this. Yeah. Sometimes, and I think it's it's best, is if you bring a couple of little literal physical maps of city in black and white mm-hmm. that are, you know, good views or, or sketches or whatever, and you set them down in front of your players, like, which one of these do you like the look of? Okay, that's the city. Now, let's start talking about the city. Mm-hmm. What is this here, Sarah? Tell me about this section. Oh, here's a weird place where five streets come together. That place is called Five Points, and five we're going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Which faction runs Five Points? Right, you know? right, right, right. And then you just keep going around the table, and that's how you map a city out, mm-hmm. because the guidelines are there to help you with that, to kind of give you some spacing, but that's the whole point, is that they're building their investment right there. Yep. yep. And that's fantastic. Um, and what are the pros and cons this game uh, compared to other urban fantasy games like Dresden, uh, uh, World of Darkness, or the Chronicles thereof? Uh, so I'm going to say this, and I, I kind of said this a little bit earlier, but I want to I want to touch upon it a, a little further here. Um, you mentioned so Dresden Files and World of Darkness, or you know, Chronicle of Darkness games. Um, those are the the two I'm going to compare this directly against because I think they're the closest to what we're do what we're doing here. Um, I think I like Urban Shadows the best. Uh, now, mind you, I have not read the new rules for Dresden. The one I've read were was the Fate version that came out a while back. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I think there is a new cleaned up, like, second edition Dresden. Okay, okay. Um, I, I don't know anything about it. We so. do have a system spotlight for it lined up, but I think it's much later in the it's year. It's much later in the year. Uh, however, um, the thing that I think that I like the most about uh, about Urban Shadows is that it is the cleanest urban fantasy experience that clearly communicates what type of stories it's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And then hands you just enough rules to adjudicate them without cluttering them with something else. Yep. And I think that's where the other two um, urban fantasy games falter. Dresden is very good. Like, I am a huge Dresden fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yes, you are. I devoured the, the, the series multiple times. Um, I'm head over heels in love with, with, that entire, with the entire book series. But 
there's a lot going on there, mm-hmm. right? There are like three or four different types of werewolves mm-hmm. in in that story alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three courts of vampires, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's very good for a book series, but once you start trying to get into representing that in a role-playing system, there's a lot Mm-hmm. Just a lot to keep track of, and you need rules to adjudicate all those different types of werewolves. You need rules to adjudicate all those types of vampires, and they act very differently. Yeah, the different vampire courts act very differently. So, well, they're... you also need all those things because everyone knows that within that setting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it, the, the Dresden, for all of, I mean, it does represent like in rules. It represents what I see in the fiction of the books very, very well. Mm-hmm. But man, is it a little bloated? Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot to chew on because mm-hmm. there's so much going on in the Dresden stories. And then you've got World of Darkness, which has actually the exact opposite problem, which was it tried to give you a game and tell you it was a political game all about manipulating other people in the shadows and stuff like that. And then handed you the rules to move faster than sound and throw cars at each other. And there's there's no mechanics for that for the political system. I would say there's no mechanics. There's few mechanics for it, and there are far more mechanics for whipping cars at people. Yeah. What's on the character sheet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whipping cars at people. Yeah. And whether or not you have whether or not you've lost your humanity. Yep. Not whether or not you've pissed off the faction. Mm-hmm. Like, are there dots for faction? No. No, there are not. So or at least not last time I played. Last I'm... time I played wasn't any dots for faction either. Yep. And in fact, the factions have been diluted <clears throat> yet again in the newer editions. So, but the, I, I, I would agree. I think Urban Shadows does a fine job of putting all of the right players in place and leaving it to the fact that it doesn't matter that you're a and I'll use a World of Darkness reference, a glass walker, mm-hmm. you know, who's a werewolf who knows technology. Sure. That's irrelevant to this game. Sure, maybe you are that thing. Mm-hmm. But your moves are relative to the fact that you're a werewolf and nothing more. Right, literally you... everything else. You want to call yourself a glass walker and know some technology? Cool, that's story, dis- you know, that, that's that's role, yeah. role play. Yeah, that's You don't get I... any bonuses for being able to use a cell phone. No, it is literally just part of who you are. Yep. And I think that is fantastic. And to say this, the game doesn't define what the framework is other than the city. It does define that the city is a defined space. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to my original analogy. There's nothing to say that you couldn't do urban shadows in a college. Yeah, absolutely. You'd have the same stuff going. And again, the f- everything fits. Mm-hmm. All of the factions fit. All the framework fits. Everything else fits. Because... of the people don't know. Yeah, yeah. But the NPCs that matter, matter. And the weight matters. So if you need to frame it differently for your... like As a storyteller, as an MC, you're like, I am setting the framework to a college city. Here is Ann Arbor. Here is, you know, Austin. Here is this. And this is the section that we're working in. It is the college campus area. Mm -hmm. Let's define it. Sure. Like, boom. Now you've brought it down severely in scope mm-hmm. and made it very easy to recognize Yeah, and added struggles like parents and classes mm-hmm. and, you know, back to the, we could die or worse, get expelled. <laughs> 
that has a different weight, and you can change up that weight of the story. Oh God, you're talking about playing a fantasy game on a uh, or, or, or urban fantasy game on a college campus, and I just keep thinking back to East Texas University. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it fits. It does. It really does fit. It does. Yeah. And the the thing is, is that the but again, you're still working with that debt, the load, the politics, and everything else that yeah. go along with yeah. that. So. All right, we've gone an hour and 45 minutes. Because it was worth it, I and we think... have microphones. <laughs> I think uh, I think we have covered this one. Uh, so next week's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, one D&D and the uh, the new open gaming license, all that debacle. We, we actually had put this off for, like, months. We were, like, going to wait till everything kind of calmed, and we had all the but, info. Man, and... is this tumbling downhill and gaining steam. Uh, yeah. And it's turned into an avalanche. So we're going to have a good uh, good discussion about it. Um, we're going to monopolize on this. <laughs> it's... It, it, I definitely think it's going to be a lot more of like a discussion, an opinion piece, because neither of us are lawyers. No, like, we'll, we're not, we'll catch up those who want to be caught up. We're not going to belabor it, but we will talk about what's going on in the community. Yeah. Because I think that's the bigger thing yeah. that people are kind of pushing around the topic. Yeah, I think that's, that's where a lot of, lot of like my, I, I've already kind of got a lot of opinions on the uh, Oh, the you show got sheet. opinions. Um, like, I, would you say I wrote 500 words or something like something that? Something close to that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it was mostly, mostly uh, came from me looking at Reddit and watching people reacting to it and what the community was doing in reaction to the open gaming license debacle going on right now. And we'll I, leave that for next week. I, I want to talk about it. All right. So, you can find us on Twitter underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night at 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh please join us upon our discord we'd love to hear from you uh join us in the live chat if you're if you're a uh, if you're a patreon um uh, shoot us some questions and join in uh great some really great discussions with other like-minded storytellers you can find that link on our twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com We'd like to thank our Patreon members, uh, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulufu, as well as you, Sean. We really appreciate all your support every month. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on Instagram. And our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. Our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Meteor Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so you. much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends have set us at our tables to share all these great stories with you over the years and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night. <laughs>